Please stand for the hearing of today's gospel. This is from the gospel according to St. Matthew from the fifth chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one member of your, one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of unchastity causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. In one of the Senate confirmation hearings that took place in Washington, D.C. this past week, as many of you know, a, a female senator who had the floor was given an order to cease talking and to be seated. And the order, she was told, was a standard enforcement of a seldom used rule which bars senators from impugning the motives and the conduct of their colleagues. I know, of course, that there are many ways to understand and interpret this highly politicized event. And I'm not going to use the pulpit to engage in any kind of partisan analysis of that. It's one of those cases where it would be good, though, to sit down and talk together, wrestle with our diverse views about what kind of power dynamics were evident there in that moment in time. And as always, I would welcome conversations like that. But what I will say, without 
any hesitation is that millions of women know exactly what it is like to be told to be quiet and to sit down and to take their place. And I do know that this injustice is often justified by the pretext of rules or laws that can be easily turned to the advantage of people in power. And finally, I believe from the testimony of Scripture that any behavior which demeans or dehumanizes or belittles another human being is behavior that goes against the will of God for us, the will of our loving and gracious God who wants life for all of us. That's made clear all through Hebrew Scripture where we meet a God who grants dignity and honor to every human being created in God's image and where we meet also a God who's not willing to stand by passively and watch when those gifts are threatened by sinful behavior. We hear that especially in the Torah and also in the words of the fiery prophets. But now in our New Testament reading for today, we also hear it clearly and emphatically in the words of Jesus. If Jesus is getting more and more passionate in his language as this gospel story unfolds, it's probably because of his burning desire to see that will of God reflected in every human relationship, in marriage, in family, in the community, and in the broader world. And at the most basic level, Jesus says, this is about the way that men and women treat each other. The world he was discovering as a young man was a world where women were demeaned and dehumanized in a systematic way by their male counterparts. And it's the same thing we see today whenever men treat women as sexual objects rather than fully human beings created in God's image. And in my view, that is why Jesus tackles the subject of adultery in these words to his followers. He's saying to them, I think, this isn't just about engaging in sex. It is about sexualizing and objectifying women's bodies in ways that demean them, diminish them from the earliest stages of life. And so Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you can point to some first layer of some law about marriage and say, I'm in compliance. What matters Jesus says, is how you look at women to begin with. If they are simply objects of lust for you, then you've lost the whole point of this law and you have violated the much deeper intent of the law, which is to guard the dignity and the honor of all people, both men and women. And that's how I also hear Jesus teaching about divorce in this text. As I see it, he's not passing judgment on every person today who has been divorced or remarried. Instead, I hear Jesus passing judgment on a legalized practice in his day, which allowed a man to divorce his wife for any simple reason. All he had to do if he was dissatisfied with his wife was obtain a piece of paper from the religious authorities and sign it, 
and then send her out into a world where for the rest of her life she would be treated as damaged goods. Jesus would have nothing to do with that, that unjust and dehumanizing practice of divorce. And the true intent of the law, which he himself had come to fulfill, that form of divorce was unrecognizable. And I think that's why he spoke about it as adultery. What Jesus was up against, like so many of the prophets before him, was a tendency on the part of religious people to take laws given by God for blessing and for enhancing the quality of life for all people and turning them into pretexts for acting in self-serving or unjust ways. And in calling attention to that, Jesus also exposed the way that people had distorted the commandment which says you shall not murder. What you, de what you do, Jesus says, is turn this law also into a pretext to treat others as you please as long as you think it falls somehow under that drastic expression of the law. You insult one another, Jesus says. You let your anger rage against one another. And then you say, well, I haven't killed him or her, so I'm in compliance with the law. I'm fulfilling the law. And then in his critique of this self-serving application of the Torah, Jesus also uses some pretty shocking language about cutting off hands and plucking out eyes. Sounds gruesome. But I agree with those who compare this to similar expressions in our own English language where we might say that something is of such great value that it's gonna cost you an arm and a leg. In other words, it sounds to me like Jesus is saying with a Hebrew expression here that following God's commandments in their entirety is something that requires great sacrifice on our parts. And I think learning to put Jesus' words in perspective like that also helps us understand what he means when he says that it's better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. When we hear those shocking words, we might quickly assume that Jesus is talking about a place of eternal punishment for bad people who don't perfectly keep the law. But in reality, the word that's translated as hell here that Jesus uses was a real place, not something out beyond this world. Jesus used the word Gehenna, which is a place outside of Jerusalem, was at his time. A place where, in many ways, people remembered it, not only historically, but metaphorically. The prophet Jeremiah described that place of hell as a ravine outside of the city of Jerusalem where children were once offered as human sacrifice by parents who had fled the commandments of Yahweh to pursue false gods. Isaiah tells us that Gehenna was a dumping place where corpses were thrown on the top of burning garbage, an image seared into the minds of people who heard this, I'm sure. You can make your own, I guess, judgment about what Jesus means when he uses this reference. 
but I think he is using it as a strong metaphor to describe the place of ultimate rebellion from God where the sacred life that God gives is just sacrificed as if it's not worth all that it is or discarded, thrown away as worthless. In light of that, Gehenna is the place we go whenever we defy God's command to treat all human beings with honor and with dignity and with respect. And if the language sounds threatening, it's because it really is. As one commentator put it, Jesus is insisting that life itself is threatened when anger and judgment and insult are normalized. Life is threatened, she said, when women are objectified and demeaned. Life is threatened when forgiveness is withheld and when reconciliation is cast aside for narrow and selfish pursuits. But that threat does not have the last word in any of these scripture readings today. In Deuteronomy, we hear the promise that God will never stop offering us life in all of its fullness. The psalmists went on to say that choosing this gift of life will also bring us deep joy and thanksgiving in our life. But for me, the greatest promise of all that I hear is the one that is hidden underneath those words of Jesus in our gospel story from Matthew. In that brief section that we read, Jesus does not say the word love, but there is no other way in my mind to describe his burning desire for every human being to experience what God wants for us, to experience dignity and honor, and to experience the fullness of life as God intends it to be lived. For me, there's no other explanation for Jesus' eagerness to challenge us and to even provoke us when we need that. There's no other explanation to me for his willingness to speak the truth to each one of us. It's all motivated by love. I trust. Love is underneath all of that. And for that, I continue to say, thanks be to God. Amen.